my, my goal of this entire podcast is to make you blush this. <laughs> and, and we are recording now, so yeah, let's kick off. Um, hello and welcome to the Tech Q podcast. I am your host, co-host, sorry, Ben Shinubi, and I've got my, my other co-host, Andy Tebb. Hey, but you are definitely the main host. Uh, <laughs> Andy, I could, I could not do this without you, trust me. Um, and we've, we are continuing on our theme of International Men's Day, we have a very special guest, Chris Dunkley, um, who is part of the ECS uh, family, and he's going to share his journey that he's been through throughout this time, not only at ECS, but before uh, ECS and some personal stories as well that he can go through. But first of all, I wanted to start off with is just saying a massive thank you to Chris, because I was talking about what well, we were talking just off air, just before we started. And Chris doesn't know this, but you've had quite a significant, profound effect on my agile career uh, thus far. You were one of the first people to take me under your wing and say, look, you're, you're, you're going to go into this Scrum Master role. I've done it before. These are some of the things that you should look out for. And these are some of the things that you should you should learn. And I took some of those things away. I remember it. It was in one of the offices in HSBC. I took that away and I was like, I I want this. I want to learn a lot or as much as I can from this guy because he knows what he's talking about. So, Chris, genuinely, I want to thank you for that. Thank you for what you've done for me. And I appreciate you. appreciate you very much. Okay, well, you have made me blush, Ben, so that's very kind of <laughs> Mission accomplished. <laughs> all right, we cool. the podcast now, Ben. We're done. That's <laughs> it. I've done. I've, I've completed my mission. I'm, I'm all right. I don't know. You know, it's, it's all good. But yeah, we're, we're talking about mental health. Sorry, we're talking about International Men's Day. And Chris, you've been in the industry for a long time. You know, we've known you looking at your journey, you've worked at Sky, you've worked at Sony, you worked at these different places and now coming up to, to ECS. What I want to do is sort of like get your um, your feedback and your journey up until now, what it was what it was like and being in the industry, what you felt as like a man, how 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 the environment shaped you as a person. Okay. Um it's a big question. <laughs> Um, but I'll do my best to answer it like as succinctly as possible, I guess. Um, and I think it's important to remember that everyone's journey is different, right? So this is just my story, and it might not be the same for other people. Um, I was about 23 when I took my first job on this sort of career path, and I was a very immature man. And I mean that in like the um, most like normal way possible. But um, I felt like I went to a school where every, like quite a lot of people had it sussed and they had all like knew what their path was going to be. They were going to be like doctors or they were going to be whatever it was they were going to be. And um, I think they all knew that by the time they were sort of 16, 17. Um, and it took me a long, long time to get to a place where I understood where, what I wanted for my life. And I can't promise you that I still know the answer to that question now, but I've got some mm. better ideas about what it looks like. Um, so I, I was very young, right? I was very young-minded um, as well. Um, I had some like uh, personal emotional things at the time um, that I think made it harder for me to be a grown up and I don't think I really unpacked them until much later in my life. But it meant that I was quite boisterous and quite gregarious in the office. Um, I think I was a sort of Marmite character. You either really liked me or you didn't like me at all. Um, and I think that makes it hard, you know, I think it makes it hard in the professional arena 
because people make a perception of you very quickly on your behavior but it doesn't necessarily represent like what you can do at work and what you can't do at work um so yeah that was kind of like the, the start of my career I think is probably that's kind of how I feel looking back on it I feel like this sort of young almost like a young kid running around just you know trying to do the best job possible and probably like not considering other people in the process just trying to sort of get myself ahead if that makes sense but then <clears throat> I think that sort of conducive to a young man is you're trying to find your find your way find your feet but also that can be very intimidating coming from an environment where everyone around you seems to have it all sussed and figured out and you're trying to still understand what your place is in society and in this world yeah so, yeah yeah I agree with you I think like it's almost it's like the unsaid thing right it's like the, we don't have that conversation as men like who am I and what's my place in the world and how do I feel comfortable with it or not comfortable with it um yeah, I, I think it might be different now with like people from a different generation, like younger people. I hope, I hopeful that it is. When I speak to young men now, I kind of feel like I don't know. They just seem like I got it so much more sus than I ever had. Even sometimes more sus than I've got it sus now. You're, you're absolutely yeah. right. You look at like the new intake from the academy and stuff, and I'm just constantly um, in awe of how mature they are compared to me at that age. I guess. But it's all relative, right? Because they probably still have those same reflection moments where they're like, why am I saying this? Why did I even think that was a good idea? I mean, when you were kind of acting like that, I mean, first of all, it's really good that you're no longer the gregarious person you were. (laughs) 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 But But, um, when you were doing that, when you first started out, do you think that was about uh, being naive and not recognising the size of the challenge in front of you, maybe a little overconfidence, or do you think of it as insecurity or a mix of all of that? Or uh, most people that know me would describe most people that know me a little would describe me as an extrovert. Yeah, anyone who knows me a lot would describe me as an introvert. And yeah, uh, I think it's like a <laughs> not to try to it too much. I grew up as an only child, and my mum used to put me into like things because she was a working mum. Yeah, um, she was it was just me and my mum. And she put me into like all these social situations and it was sink or swim, right? So I had to learn at a very young age to, be, to go up to people and be like, hi, I'm Chris, I'm here, let's talk. Um, so I don't believe my extroversion is like who I am. I think it's like a cover. And I think a cover only runs so far with people when, you're, when you start to speak to grown-ups. Um, I think they can see through some of your behaviours and stuff. Um, so I, I don't think I'd quite got to the point where I've been able to like mature myself um into the place where I could be like vulnerable and honest and feel comfortable in my own skin. I think it was a discomfort in my own skin. It's um, a it's a survival tactic as a you know, as a single as a as a an only child to a single mum who was working and put me into a lot of activities. I have some sympathy with what you're saying in terms of that soft outer shell but that hardcore that you don't really let people get to. So you're you appear to be you can kind of do the facade of being extroverted and vulnerable even on occasion but it's there's a bit in the middle that you're protecting and protecting quite hard yeah um yeah i i I think a a lot of people would have sympathy with that but we never have that chat right so you feel quite lonely in that place yeah 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 yeah. and people sorry so what were the sort of like environments at work um did they promote that type of behavior or that type of your character to be able to flourish because you were if you, you know what I'm saying in in Sky and in Sony you were quite successful you were able to manage quite a, f- a fair few people definitely at Sky 
So was there an environment where you were promoted, where that was promoted within to be able to be that boisterous and that outgoing? <laughs> I don't let's, say, to... let's say outgoing, let's say outgoing. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, don't, I don't want to speak to sort of, I, th- I think there were some environments that weren't particularly conducive to like my development, right? And I think there's some people I definitely got like, um, I probably got their back up a little. Um, but I... I, th- I think there's two things. I'm not sure if it's because I actively consciously look for it, um, but finding the right person who understands who you are and values it um, and can maybe coach you and help you on the process is really, really valuable. And I was lucky enough to get... Um, so I was, I was a contractor at Sony originally, and then I moved into a permanent role there. And the person that hired me in a permanent role was a really good guy. Um, he wanted the best for me. I was kind of like his right-hand man to a degree. And we spent a lot of time sort of shooting the breeze, working out how it was going to fit together um, and coming up with it. it was mostly sort of test strategies and that kind of stuff. Um, and yeah, it was, yeah, he was a really, really good supportive boss. Um, and I think he kind of, I think he kind of understood me and that tempered quite a lot of my, as soon as I got the trust, right? As soon as I got someone who said, I trust you to do your job. I felt like I didn't have to try to prove anything else anymore. It meant that I could like be the version of myself that, made me professional, made me good at what I did, right? Um, so I think I think having the right person around you that understands that and supports you and makes you feel confident and comfortable in your own skin is really important. Yeah, so having having those positive conversations, you have to have a level of comfort and no matter wh- who you are, that level of comfort needs to come from somewhere within the environment that you're in, which is which is I think is beautiful because that is conducive to everyone. It's not just men or women. It's 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 just a human aspect um, of what you what you are. Well, well, it's that point you made in the last podcast, Ben, about positive role models. Mm. Um, you know, even the best of us sometimes need someone to set some guardrails and just act as that external check and challenge, and maybe help us to be better than we might otherwise be. I, I think it's also being open to that as well. I don't know if I was necessarily open to that. I was when I said gregarious. I also was like. Quite single-minded. I've always been very um, ambitious and confident in my ability to do stuff. Uh-huh. I'm not necessarily confident in the fact that everyone else sees that or trusts that. But like, if you give me a task, I feel like I can. Like, I want to do it to prove I can do it. Uh-huh. I'm very yeah. like driven like that. It's a weird thing. I'm not sure where it comes from, but I'm, yeah, I want to make sure I can demonstrate to myself that I'm capable, competent, and stuff. Yeah, mm. and I, I think that that has kind of been an influencing factor in like being able to feel confident in my role and the job that I've got to do, but it's the interaction with other people bit that really like has always made me anxious and convinced, not convincing, but like bringing them on the journey and helping them understand what you understand. Um, And, you know, sometimes having that battle about whether it's the right thing to do or it's the wrong thing to do and yeah, having those sort of disagreements. I think that's the hard bit. I've always found that the hard bit is like having other people see the way in which I see the world and agree with it or disagree with it. Actually understanding what I want to do. I'm quite single-minded about that. I'm quite like, course, I, think yeah. I think I'm well about these things. And I get humbled by that every single day yeah. when I step into a room and say, I think we should do this. And people go, well, maybe not. And I go, why? And they say, because of these reasons. And I go, yeah, that's fair. Let's, 
<laughs> Let's rethink it. I, I used to feel that a lot in my career. I was like, I would really like to proceed on consensus and that would be much easier to reach if everyone would just, just agree, agree with me. me. Yeah. <laughs> it's always very frustrating that you have to have that two-way chat. It's, it's, well, yeah, I think that's that's a maturity that you get as you go through yeah. your career, I think. I, I think hopefully most people see that at some point. But that point about understanding that while you might think it's the right thing to do, it doesn't necessarily mean it is. And it doesn't necessarily mean that other people agree with you. Even if the thing you think is definitely the right thing, so you're 100% convincing the rest of the people that it's the right idea is the hard part. Um, and you may not end up with the thing that you think is the right thing to do. I, to exactly. I, I can say this as an architect, but as a, as a subset of the profession, we're not always that great at accepting we're wrong. You know, the people who own the solutions, like, you know, I've thought about it must be true. Um, I think that's one of the things that's much better in the industry now with the increase in gender diversity and then the more willingness to have those conversations and maybe depersonalize some of those conversations. Just say, actually, we just disagree. I don't hate you. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's okay. okay. At the beginning of IT, at the beginning of IT, but like 20, 25 years ago, that was very much not the case. The arguments used to be kind of religious. Mm. Um, and we're much more willing to have that conversation. I think sometimes that younger cohort that you were talking about, Chris, kind of, embarrass and shame us into that yeah because they're more mature on those kinds of things and you're forced to keep pace with that There's, for the better right? it definitely feels like the people more uh, young men especially are more willing to say i don't know the answer or can you help me than i ever was yeah yeah <laughs> yeah i definitely learned that skill and it's something i'm really proud of yeah now, but yeah. i don't think it's something that came naturally to me um oh. and i also don't think that working environments necessarily at a time were conducive to that behavior either no. I might have had supportive bosses that gave me trust, but I, they were still in most of those, the biggest sort of companies that I work for, the politics was rife. And it's about, not necessarily about saving face, but there's an element of saving face, there's an element of um, trying to work for the next promotion and people battling each other. And you've got to get it right. And there was definitely, and I'm not going to talk about where it was, but there's definitely a place that I worked where it felt like I was going into combat every day, every meeting was felt like it was a battle. And I eventually left that job <laughs> because it, it's not where I want to be and it's not who I am. No, and that can be mentally taxing as well. <clears throat> not only having to, because you've spoken about having to be, when you're naturally introverted, you have to be extroverted in order for you to be able to get what you want done. But then also, additionally to that, you're having to go into, as you explained, battle in order for you to get your points across, get things done, going into meeting. That's completely draining. So at the end of the day, I'm not surprised that you can feel physically drained from just wanting to do, one, the right thing, to your job. Yeah. So it can it can have a toll on itself. And, and, you know, one of the things I think that is really, really good that, you know, I was looking at just before around November was that's one thing that they're trying to tackle. So the two, three main areas where it's mental health, um, testicular and prostate cancer. And then the last one being um, uh, the last one being suicide prevention. So making sure that, you know, men have a free space and a comfortable space to be able to talk about that because there are a lot of pressures not only in the work but also outside that come with the expectation of you're a man you need to do a b c and d in order for you to feel like you're a man and as soon as that you can't do one of those you're no longer considered to be that and it's something that really needs to be addressed and i'm hoping the next generation be able to do that um address those points and making change and like you can like you said you see that they're very very switched on 
the, the amount of technology and the amount of information that they have is very, very, it's vast, and they're using it to to their to the to their advantage. So it's very exciting to see that next step. Yes. But um, sorry, go ahead, Andy. Sorry, I was just going to say it's interesting though with the points that you both making around that. Um, there, there was uh, much more prevalent, but you still come across it now. Those environments where work is a zero sum game. If you succeed, that must leave something less on the table for me. Whether it's QDOS, whether it's uh, just money, whether it's you know story points, whatever the value, it must be mm. that zero sum game. And it is incredibly taxing, and you often don't realize it until you're out of it just how much it took away from you i've been in those situations as a consultant you don't always have a choice in where you go and sometimes you can find yourself working in those very toxic environments you don't really realize what what attacks it's putting on you and your emotional sort of reserves your just your strength your your energy until something big happens externally you know whether that's bereavement or what have you and then you suddenly realize you've got nothing left in the tank to deal with that and and those environments, they creep up on you. It's kind of like that boiling the frog thing, which I know isn't true, but that analogy where you slowly work yourself into it. And you either have that break point where you go, I have to walk away from this because it's toxic or finish the job immediately and just get done. Or it's when you leave, you suddenly go, I feel that weight is lifted. And everyone talks about that so casually, but it is a physical thing. You feel it weighing on you. It just leaves you with no reserves to do anything. Yeah, it was so it's interesting to say that because I hadn't thought about it in those terms, but you're completely right. The, the, the indicator for me when I left the job that I said that I felt was relatively toxic by the time I'd left it, um, the indicator was that I looked at myself in the mirror one day and, you know, I used to go to work every day, like, I say this story to everyone, but I used to go to work every day, like, shirt, blazer, chinos, I used to look very well done, hair did, all that kind of stuff. And I looked in the mirror one day and I went, this isn't really me. Yeah. Like, who is this guy looking <laughs> yeah, back at me? Yeah. I'm, not that, I'm not that person. I'm a little bit scruffy around the edges. I'm quite casual, generally. Um, and I remember going into the office, like, the next day, and I wore, like, jeans and a T-shirt and my hair was scruffy. And people generally were asking me if I was all right. And almost, it was weird because I felt like I was the most all right I'd been in, like, a yeah, while. Yeah, yeah. But because it was quite a change for everyone else, it was, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm very <laughs> pleased to meet you. You've never met me before. You never met me before. I'm actually really fun. That's <laughs> it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I've become someone I was, I became some, that, you know, we talk about that, that extra version personality yeah. that kind of got me through a lot of situations. I feel like that, that part of me is malleable because that part of me isn't all me. Mm. And I think my environment might have changed that version of me yeah. into a different outward view. And I don't want people to see me like that. So bit, I think that's what, that, that lesson was huge. And I think that I must have been um, in my early 30s at that point. And that's the point at which I, maybe the late 20s, early 30s, but that point is when I went, right, like you're going to have to start yeah. reflecting a little bit more of your actual self into society. Yeah. Otherwise everyone's going to have this vision of you from what you present and that isn't that isn't the picture um yeah being able to be vulnerable that's what you've been able to show the, sh showing your true self as you've explained it you know a bit casual a bit rough around the edges but that is being able to show vulnerability and that's what you sometimes some people don't even get that opportunity to be able to do that um and i, and I think you know we wanted to speak about a, another vulnerable position that you were in or point in your life is when you know you were able to realize or you came to the sort of like um realization about the journey and the thing that rocked you 
um, and we spoke about it off off camera, off uh, line, and it was when you were diagnosed with uh, testicular cancer. How did how did that how did you deal with that first of all? Because whenever anyone, no matter what type of sort of uh, disease or ailment or illness it is, it can really shake you. <clears throat> and the one thing that I I always think about is how is it going to affect the people around me first of all and how how am i secondly how am i dealing with that so two-part question how did you first deal with that first of all and then the second thing is how did your social network around you deal with it and and come together to be able to get you through that very very difficult difficult time um yes yeah, good they're good questions um i wanted to say for the record i think like i was relatively lucky in my life testicular cancer diagnosis and treatment that um, I caught it really early um, and it was able to be dealt with in a really sort of swift manner um, albeit with lots of surveillance afterwards but I didn't have to go through some of the processes that I'm aware other people have been um, and I always feel like I have to set that tone first because I know that some people's journeys have been very very difficult right yeah um, so in terms of um, how I dealt with it uh, I went insular very very quickly so nobody knew about it. I didn't want to tell anyone about it. And by that, I also include like my mum and my girlfriend at the time. Uh, they didn't know anything about it until the day before I had to go to hospital. <laughs> um, and the letter that I'd got had been like, you can't drive because we're going to put you under anaesthetic and you are not going to be able to drive home afterwards. So someone needs to bring you here and pick you up. Right. At which point I told my mum, I was like, mum, can you give me this to the hospital tomorrow? <laughs> which is, this is the sort of thing that I would normally do to my mum, which is not give her any information and then dump something on her like this, um, which is terrible. I don't know why I'm laughing about it, but yeah, it's, um, that's just like the nature of our relationship. Yeah. And uh, so I told her about it and she was like, why do you need to go to hospital? I said, I've got cancer and they need to operate on me tomorrow. And uh, at which point she went to panic mode, which I think was part of the reason why I didn't want to tell her in the first place, right? Um, yeah. You know, you don't want to have to worry people around you. Um, as a man, you're kind of taught this idea that you're the strong one, you're the one who holds it together for everyone else, all that kind of stuff, which is a bit archaic, but it still exists. Um, whether or not we want to acknowledge it exists, it's kind of one of those things that still is there. Going back to vulnerability, you're not allowed to show you're vulnerable at any point in time. You have to be the foundation, the rock and all of that, all that um, the stuff, yeah. Um, so, yeah, my mum was uh, upset for, for a little while and I sort of said to her, you do, you're aware that this is my cancer, not yours. Mm. Um, like, I need you to be like a bit stronger about it and just help me out and get me to the place. And she was like, okay, fine. So she took me to hospital. Um, she sat with me at hospital. We went through a very awkward interview with the surgeon before hospital where my mum asked me the question whether or not um, she should come into the room with me. So right. the surgeon said, uh, before we do the surgery, you want to know if you have any questions? I said, yeah, I've got loads of questions. And mum said, just before I went in, she goes, do you want me to come with you? And I said, you can decide. I didn't want to make the decision before. I was like, you decide. And she decided to come in. And then I had to have some very awkward conversations as a sort of 24-year-old man about what my sexual yeah. life was going to be. When was the last time you were sexually? <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> With this surgeon yeah. uh, in front of my mum, which, uh, to be fair, she was very good about, and she didn't say anything about it, and we kind of just sort of, yeah. I asked all of the questions I needed to ask, and I got all the answers I needed, which was good. Um, and then, yeah, and then I had surgery, and... Um, and, and that was kind of that was kind of it from like how I dealt with it initially. 
Um, mm. I still never wanted to tell anyone after it happened. I was very like um, nervous about sharing that information with people. I didn't really know why I would do it or what reaction I'd get from people. And, you know, it's another one of those things like, about the vulnerability piece. Like I've been part of like football teams and my friends are quite, you know, I wouldn't say they're the most masculine friends in the world, but they're like, there's still that sort of undercurrent of like maleness about it. It's yeah. in every friendship group. Every there's a, there's, yeah, there is that undercurrent. Yep. Um, and I was, I was really lucky at the time I had a very good friend and I told him about it. And I said to him, uh, I'm not going to be able to tell the other guys. I don't know what it is, but can you do me a favor and can you just tell them this thing happened? Mm. Um, and just so they know. And he told them, which was really good of him. That's a lot of responsibility to put on someone else. And I, I, I'll be forever thankful for him for being like a grown up and like helping me through that. Um, but the next thing I knew, every, all of the lads had got in touch with me and they were all like, right, we're coming around. We're coming around Sunday this week, which day free. And I was like, I'm, I haven't really worked because, you know, I'm off. <laughs> um, and they all came and we went and played snooker down the snooker hall. Uh, which is one of, was my, one of my favorite things to do. And we all just spent the day together having a good time. And that was a, that was one of the ways in which my friends like, told me they cared about me and that it was important to them. Um, that I was all right. Um, and that was really humbling. Mm. I don't know if I ever expected that people would make that much of an effort for me, if that makes sense. Sometimes the danger of building that self-reliant world that you like, where you don't have to rely on anyone, you've got that hardcore that we were talking about before but then it's like well, what if I do need to test that I've never tested that before I don't know if they are going to be there or can be quite emotional when it turns out they are yeah yeah um no that's yes exactly I think you don't <laughs> yeah it was very emotional yeah yeah um, and, and completely reasonable right I mean where you were saying you know you were really lucky because it was diagnosed early you know I I'm of an age where I've had a couple of occasions where I've found lumps and they've turned out to be nothing horrific. But you do have that sense of your own mortality and that life-altering moment and, you know, probably coming from a similar family situation to yourself, like often the first thing I think is, like, if I die, this is going to destroy my mom and my whole world, you know? And it's like, and it's that immediate thought of others in your life. And it's like, it's almost like, you're, you feel like you're secondary to that. And that is not a healthy place to be in, but it's the role we often adopt. You know, it's, it's I am responsible for this. There's a massive ego in that, like you're responsible for the entire world, but it's the instinctive place you go to, isn't it? Yeah. It's like, I'm responsible for this person's well-being and their emotions. And, and it's weird because, of course, the first thing you're thinking about is something you've actually got no control over. There's nothing you can do. About that. There is they absolutely. will feel how they feel. Um, but yeah, it's the dichotomy of being a man. But it's the trust as well. It's the trust yeah. to know that, like, and I think going back to the vulnerability conversation, and I think this is something that people, this is something that I think we should talk about as men more often. Yeah. But the when you are vulnerable with people, they, the trust you put out there exactly. is that they're going to respect you, support you, care about you, and yeah. help you. Right. Yeah. That's. That's the vulnerability yeah. is saying, I need some help. And other people saying, yeah, I can do that. Now, most of the time, people will be capable of doing that and they'll be happy to do that. Mm -hmm. There are occasions when they won't be, right? But I think that's where you learn your lessons. Yeah. You learn your lessons about the people that you can trust, the people that you can't trust. People are going to do the job for you and the people who aren't going to. And that's the stuff you grab hold of, the people who do do it. You grab hold of them and say, 
I need you in my life. This is an important thing and I want more of this. Yeah. And I think that those friends specifically, um, yeah, we're, we're all still, that's been, I know, I've known a lot of them since I was about 16, right? But um, we're still friends to this day. I'm seeing some of them on the weekends. You know, it's, that's yeah. really nice. So. And that's that's that that's that foundation that <clears throat> that social group that you've built and which which has such high value for you that you needed and and I'm so glad. First of all, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, um, you, you didn't have to because it was it's brilliant and it's it's good because you're being able to one kind of like kill the stigma around sort of what it is to be a a quote air quotes a man and talking about something that you know is very vulnerable to you but also make it, the way the way you, where you deal with it and are dealing with it now is, is is so brave so we really appreciate that chris thank you for sharing um what i wanted to look at next is sort of like <clears throat> you you have mentioned before that you were you know you had to be extroverted but were are very introverted how did you after you've had your recovery after you were able to go back to work what was sort of like your your mantra or what was the way in which you wanted to show yourself now at work after going having to go through that what was what, what sort of your mentality in that yes uh, you've got good questions ben you're like they're real thinkers yeah <laughs> so it's interesting right i was very bullish about cancer and i was very much like this doesn't define me this is not going to define me. Um, I've never wanted to use it as a thing that says Chris Dunkley, oh, the guy that had cancer, right? Um, I wanted to be like part of the thing that is the rich tapestry of who I am. Well, I call it a rich tapestry, others might not. Um, well, but... <laughs> I think anyone who can help define a really interesting tactical solution and be great around us is a true relationship. So, yeah. I, I was really keen that it didn't define me. And so I didn't want to make it like the thing that I was. Having said that, one of the first things I did after going through it, and after the first time I told my friends and got the sort of reception that I got from them, was to reach out to some cancer charities. Mm -hmm. And I actually started working with some of them to mostly um, to drive education among young men that it's all right to talk about the things that they're going through. Mm -hmm. And you would be probably quite shocked at the number of men who've come to me asking me if I can give them a quick feel to see if their lump is a particular thing they need to go and see the doctor about, right? Um, right, right, right. And it's weird that having that, it's weird that knowing that someone, that's why I talk about it, it's weird that knowing someone that's been through it, people gravitate towards that and they're like, hey, mate, I've got like an issue here. Is there any chance you can give me a hand with that? But, but there is an unwillingness to talk about... Uh, how do you effectively check yourself, right? And that's not just men. I've I've got uh, women friends who are really unsure if they're doing a breast exam properly and stuff. And actually, it, it's a weird thing to reach out to people on, like even doctors and stuff, because it's kind of an embarrassment. Like, I'm at this age and I should know this stuff. And it becomes this self-fulfilling thing. So actually, someone being as open as you and saying, this has happened to me and all that kind of stuff. You talk about stuff that there are plenty of resources out there and no doctor's ever going to go, how do you not know? They're just keen you're asking, you know, and they want to help you through those things. But there's all these little micro barriers for us doing good sexual health good health generally you know it's just yeah, yeah. it's embarrassment about should we even talk about it it's i don't think people appreciate it. it's all those little things that get in the way and it just becomes a point where it's like 
you know what, I'll just bury myself in this piece of work and I'll think about it tomorrow and tomorrow yeah. comes and, you know, so yeah, it, it kind of doesn't surprise me, but I'm really pleased that people ask you those things. And that's yeah. great. It's, it's almost a shame that it has, it's almost a shame it has to be that way though. I think that, I mean, that's better point. than not. It's better than <laughs> not. It's a shame that like someone has to know me and know that that's the thing before they're willing to like open up about it. That's... But, but it's interesting what you're saying about not wanting to be defined by the cancer. And I think that's something that characterized a lot of survivors, but where you, um, where you're acknowledging that and reaching out to those charities and stuff, I think that's actually much healthier than because you see people start to repress it entirely and they don't want to talk about it at all and it it can't even be a facet of their life. And of course it is, it's a huge thing that happened to you that you got through and survived. So I think your response there was really healthy. Um, but of course you're filled with self-doubt because you've got no frame of reference for is this too much, is this too little? Because we don't talk about these things. Yeah. 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 Much so. To be fair, that the work that I did in the sort of for the charities and stuff, I met some people who had had very difficult journeys. I'm sure, um, and I almost felt a bit like an imposter. You know, my I did feel like an imposter. Like, like I'd been, I'd had the same thing, but theirs had affected their lives in so much uh, more uh, impactful way than mine had. And yeah, I felt like I was in a room full of people that had had a really, really difficult time, and I had like, it's not. It's not easy in the sense that it's not like something I walked into and went, oh, yeah, you know, this is straightforward. But it, the process I had to go through and the treatment I had to go through was significantly simpler. And mm. there was always this, you're probably going to be all right. So it's okay. Whereas they, some of those guys had like, were given low chances of survival from yeah. the start and then recovered and survived anyway. And I can't imagine what it might have felt like to feel that way. I imagine it's a flavor of survivor's guilt, though, Chris. Yeah. You no. know that. Yeah, how come I have this and they have that? And you know, that's a perfectly human response. But I guess it doesn't make it feel any better. <laughs> no, no. I, I, yeah, I do. There is definitely that survivor's guilt. I definitely feel a little bit like I don't know, living like on borrowed time a little bit. Yeah. Like and I, why was I so lucky? And will karma catch me up? And you don't think that actually this was a horrible thing that happened? So if karma's real, I should have loads of good things <laughs> instead. You're sort of like going, how did I get off so easy? It's yeah. like, yeah, I, I think that's perfectly natural. But again, we don't talk yeah. about those things. If you fluke something, you know, like you fall off a tall building or something as a blow, you're supposed to just bounce right up and go, yeah, didn't, nothing, you know, right? Instead of going, wow, that really shook me. Yeah. We're not allowed to do that. No, I agree with you. So yeah, so from a from, from a kind of like um, how I dealt with it outside of work, that was kind of my mm. process, right? And then getting involved with all those charities, eventually, eventually being able to talk about it with some people and getting involved with charities was really, really good. Yeah, um, mm. that made me feel like I was doing something with what had happened that was positive, and you know, um, demonstrated my resilience and like my strength and like some of the good things, good qualities about me. That's really interesting. <laughs> do you do you feel one of the things that I really felt when I was kind of like waiting for tests and stuff was, um, you know, forgive the pun, but a sense of impotent, impetus, impotence, like there was nothing I could do about it. I was just very much no power in my hands. Do you think that engagement and that positive engagement that you had gave you a sense of agency again, like you were doing something or? 
Yeah, you're right. You have no control over the process, right? When it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And that's in the hands of medical professionals who I'm very lucky with very capable yeah. of their jobs. Well, but, damn it, they're other people. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 and it almost felt, yeah. And I guess maybe it does come from that survivor's guilt to a degree, which is like, okay, mm. what am I going to do with this gift that I've been given in a way of still being here or not having to suffer? Um, mm. How can I how can I do something that takes the, takes it, but takes the power yeah. back? and turns this into something that I can control. I think, yeah, that's probably something really fair about that. I, yeah, I've never thought of that. I haven't thought about that way too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's really, really good thought. And I think probably want to round this off by saying one of the last things I want to touch on is the idea of, and you've already touched on a bit of it, of the idea of manhood. Did this sort of like experience change your viewpoint on what being a man not only in the industry, but be your idea of manhood and what that is. Has it has it shaped it at all? I don't know. I've thought about this before and I don't know. Yeah. Um I've always said like I like I said before that I didn't want this to define me. Mm. And so as a result I've almost blocked out the a little bit of the impact it probably had on my life. I've almost sort of negated that and said I would have got there, I would have got to where I got to as a person um without it. But I don't know if that's explicitly true. Mm. Um, <laughs> God, it's sound, I know it's philosophical, and I don't really want to, but because it's a, you know, it's going to make me sound like a knob. They are big questions, don't, mate. But, uh, <laughs> no, I, I guess, I guess, like life is a series of very difficult things, and the triumph in life comes from over from achieving those things and overcoming them. Right? Mm-hmm. Life isn't a journey towards this um, happiness where birds sing and you know you live in the sunshine all the time. It's not that. It's a difficult world. And uh, the joy of it is going through it with other people and like achieving things together or like overcoming personal demons, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. This is definitely one of those things that I overcame mm-hmm. and definitely I feel like mildly triumphant about. So mm-hmm. I can't say it doesn't have an impact on like who I am today, but I can also say that there's a load of other stuff in that pipeline of things that have also given me that that sense about myself and how I exist and, um, you know, the, the, and have changed my perception on who I want to be, but also who I think I am. Does that make sense? That's philosophical. That was, that was actually <laughs> one of the best ways in which I have never thought about the journey of life. And it's really, really, it is deep, <laughs> but yeah, no, that's really, really good. I really love that. Um, I really love that sentiment Um, and I really love that I I like the fact that you have not let this define you because it doesn't and then this is a this is something that has you've it's just part of your journey of who you are so you've been able to push through it succeed to greater greater things and greater things will come in the future for you so I want to yeah that is that is beautiful Chris I appreciate that really really appreciate that Andy do you have anything that you'd like to say to round off I, I, I just think that acknowledgement that it's a journey and it's ongoing, but you've got to carry on reflecting on yourself. Like you might, there is no such concept as finished. You know, there's always that improvement is the wrong word, but recognizing that you grow, you have things to overcome. I, I'm a firm believer in what you were saying there, Chris, about getting through things together and achieving things together, understanding that you're more than just an individual on that journey. I'm very bad at that. Mm. Yeah, I'm like, I'll do the thing and I won't ask you to do the I thing. I think we're both bad. Yeah. But um but that that you know, continually realizing that you're 
part of something greater in terms of that network of support around you and also that it's quite rude to people never to trust them with things to the mm. lack of that trust and you know so th- those are all big and difficult things to get to grips with but i really like that idea of it just being an ongoing thing we all know those people who i think the best example is they get married and then they're like right it's game over now let's stay very still and just wait to die because we achieved it <laughs> and you're like no 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 it's it's just part of that journey and it's ongoing but that that is a broader thing, whether it's your career, whether it's your personal life, just all those things. And I think if there's one thing we can stress, it's it's that really, that things are going to come up that you don't know how to deal with and saying you don't know how to deal with them is cool. Uh, there's another, there is another component to that. And I think like, how, I don't know where it came from in me, but it's something I feel quite lucky to have. Mm-hmm. And I'm aware that other people don't. And that's the reason why I wanted to say this bit, which is those bits that you overcome that you look at as a, with a sense of achievement, I think that's actually a very male trait. Yeah. Um, is to look at something that you did and say that's an achievement. Um, but that doesn't mean that everyone looks at it that way. So I think, uh, however much uh, that's how I look at it, and that's been a really good driving force for me to better go, you know, I've done something, on to the next thing, on to the next. I've been able to have that kind of mentality. It is important to reflect on the things you've done in your life fairly and look at yourself and say, were those things things that I can be proud of? Mm-hmm. Did I like try or did I succeed at the thing? Did I like work hard for it? Um, and even if I failed, would I learn from it? You have to have that kind of ability to look at yourself and, and praise yourself. And I don't, I don't necessarily think a lot of people or all people have that. Um, so I'm lucky that I have something like that. But I do think it's important that like, I don't know, I don't know how you get to that place. I, I can't say how I got there. But I think like, <clears throat> I could see people that might listen to that and think oh well everything i do is a failure or you know yeah do you know what i mean and i think it's important that like yeah i think i think different perspectives on the same situation that you know because they happen to different people and how you react they're all valid understanding that someone might go through the exact same experience but take something different from it and that is per, as valid as how we uh, choose to remember it and reflect upon it understanding that we don't all have to have the same reactions to things is something that we're not always great at in those conversations. I think it's great when we just have the conversation, that's a brilliant start, but then maybe showing that empathy, not necessarily sympathy and assuming that they'll have the same reaction, but empathy where you just go, your reaction to this situation is valid, whatever it is. You know, I think that's kind of where we're moving on to like, you know, level two of the man conversation. <laughs> At the moment, we're not even having them. <clears throat> yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, I think it's a really good point, Chris. Yeah. And I, I think that maybe we can play a part in that because when you recognise someone else's achievement, that ability to sit down with them and say, yeah. no, no, that was really good. Look at what you did. Like, you should be proud of that thing. Yeah. Um, and that's, it's, that's, it's the exact opposite yeah. of that zero sum atmosphere we were talking about before where your achievement takes something away from me. Celebrating success of those around us completely agree. And I think, yeah, that, that's something I think, like, if you are in a space where you're able to spot that in yourself, use it as a gift to spot it in others and share that with them. I think that's probably it. There you go. That, that sounds like a worldly nugget of advice. It's still good, though, Chris. Still good. Still good. Still good, Chris. You still got it. <laughs> Chris. Yeah. Chris, I want to thank you so much for taking the time out to share this, your story, and all of those key gems that you've dropped on this episode. Um, yeah, as I said before, you've been an amazing help to me and 
and yeah hopefully this will be able to help someone else either going through whatever they're going through in their daily lives or going through something similar so thank you chris for sharing and i appreciate it and thank you andy for running this journey with me <laughs> yeah thanks chris thanks chris and thanks ben as ever for organizing everything yeah <laughs> <laughs> we're just doing what we do as usual thank you very much for listeners you've been listening to the tech Q podcast have a great blessed day and we'll, and we'll see you again very soon Cheers. Bye. Bye.